Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Guys doing all right? Hey, grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're continuing in verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Well, we're going to stop this series just for about a month, uh, and we'll kick back up in January. Next week, we're starting a a Christmas series called Christmas Isn't Canceled. Um, You can play that however you want in your mind, okay? It's just the reality that we uh, don't have to allow or allow uh, or let Christmas to be canceled in our own lives, regardless of how people approach things uh, in, in today's world. First uh, Peter chapter 3, um, you have to forgive me, I slept on my neck wrong, um, so if you see me looking funny, uh, that's probably part of it. <laughs> my neck is killing me. Uh, but we're living in an increasingly hostile world. As a matter of fact, if you haven't paid attention much to news or media or anything else that's going on, we live in an increasingly hostile world with more and more, I would even say, selfishness, self-centeredness, more violence, more anger, more rage, more bitterness, more wrath. Uh, and as we deal with that, I wanted to jump into 1 Peter chapter 3, and really it's just going along with the text we're in, but uh, we're going to jump into a pretty touchy subject And I'll be honest with you, if you've been a part of church for any point in time of your life, you will know that sometimes conflict arises. There are relationships that take place within a family, within a body of believers uh, that just like in a regular family can sometimes come to a head or sometimes there could be conflict. And I believe scripture is very clear about how we deal with that. So I'm going to go to the Lord. We're going to pray and then let's get started. Uh, Father, we thank you. Uh, just as we think that you are the only king forever. And God, no matter what the world says, no matter who claims authority and rule and reign, that you sit on your throne. And at your right hand sits your son, Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the authority that you gave him, for the power you gave him, for the strength that you gave him, that Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he offers us life and life more abundantly. And so, Lord, today I pray that we would align our lives under the authority of your word, under the authority of Christ, the risen son, that your spirit would convict us, that God, in the midst of everything that we may face around us, Lord, that you want to develop and make us into new creations. And sometimes that means our attitudes, our actions, and how we respond to those around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. I'm going to warn you to let you know, we're not going to read the whole section today. We are going to read it. We're not going to read it all at once. So if you'll start with me, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8, we're going to read the first two verses and listen to what he says, right? So I want to, I want to remind you real quick before we jump in and read this. We talked about submission to the law or our governing authorities. We talked about then submission to the, uh, the, in the workplace, right? Like our, our bosses, our, our owners, you know, the owners of the businesses we work for. So in other words, submitting in the workplace. And we talked about last week about what it means to be submissive to one another in the marriage, right? Within a husband and a wife, in the relationship, within the home. And then today we're going to talk about what it means in reality to be submissive to those we serve with those who are brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. So starting in verse eight, listen to what he says. Finally, right? In other words, here's the last submissive thing I want you to do. All of you, all right? This doesn't just say pastors. It doesn't just say leaders within the church. It doesn't just say those who are serving in a ministry within the church. It says, finally, all of you live in what? Harmony. Hmm. Keep that word in mind. 
right? Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. All right? So here's what I want to do. I want to unpack this just in a very simple way, but I want you to understand when we talk about this, in what's going on in today's society, in, in the culture, and what I begin to see and what I, I believe is even happening within the church is there is a lack of harmony with people in relationships. But what we need is Christian harmony in the relationships we have in every way, shape, or form. When we talk about harmony, like I kind of think about this way, and please hear me out, I'm not a musician, so I'm not going to try and explain harmony, but when you have somebody singing lead and somebody singing harmony, there is a beauty that takes place in a music set or in a music piece that brings unity, right, to the song. That when somebody is singing a harmony, and I'm not, like, again, I'm not going to explain it. I've explained it, to, or had it explained to me, that it adds another level, another layer, something that people can begin to hear and see that makes it more beautiful, more full. And what I want you to see is this, that in the Christian life, within the church, within the relationship with others, that there is to be a harmony that makes the fullness of life that Jesus talks about more full that it brings unity to the peace, that it brings a clarity to it, that all of those who see it and or hear it go, man, that's awesome. Because it brings a fullness to what takes place within the body of Christ. What we need today as we work in unison to proclaim a beautiful, pleasing message of hope to the world is harmony. The problem is, I'll just be honest, the problem is harmony has not been what Christians have often pursued or desired. As a matter of fact, Christian community should be an alternate society. We talk about this consistently, but it should be an alternate society. In other words, it's completely opposite from what the rest of the world faces. It's an alternate society where believers should not face the same kind of rhetoric, insults, or hostility that comes from those outside the church. And yet, crazily enough, I have been in churches where we've seen it play out. And here's what I want us to understand. Is I believe wholeheartedly that Satan wants to work within the relationships we have within the body of Christ in order to create disunity, not harmony. In order to create conflict, not unity. In order to create a selfishness, not a, a, a selflessness. And what happens when that happens is Satan begins to get a grasp or a foothold upon the heart of the church because what we're worried more about is what goes on within the body than what's going on outside of the body. And in order to be healthy outwardly, in order to reach those who are outside, we have to be healthy inwardly. See, you can grow a church. As a matter of fact, if you, if you know anything about Christian culture and, and, and some of the things that have gone on recently, over the last about five months, there's been a podcast put out called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's about Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington that grew to in massive numbers, 20 and 30,000 people that almost overnight due to conflict and bad relationships self-imploded and ceased to exist. And what I would tell you is this, that any time we sacrifice harmony within the body of Christ for selfishness, we end up putting ourselves into a situation or circumstance where the Lord takes his hand off the church and says, not going to happen. 
all, all I know is I want, I want you to hear me out when I say this, that we want this church to be only about Jesus Christ, only, right? We wanna love on, we wanna encourage, we wanna build each other up, but anytime I allow selfishness or self-centeredness to rise to the occasion, then I begin to create disunity, not unity. I begin to create an unharmonious sound, like you don't want me singing harmony, right? Like, you know, okay, (laughs) you create an unharmonious sound when if we do it right, we function together. So listen, as it seems, many are willing to cannibalize those around them. I've seen this throughout churches. What we need now more than ever is a biblical view of our relationships within the church and with those outside the church. So he's going to unpack this in chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. So I'm going to jump in. We're going to literally go word by word and just kind of look at what he says. But I want you to know this. Here's the big statement. If you remember anything else, you remember this, that our character, our character as Christians is to be distinctly different from those who don't know Jesus. Distinctly different. Not like, well, yeah, there's a little bit of a difference. Our character as followers of Christ is to be distinctly different from those who don't know who Christ is. Drastically different. And what worries me in today's world is that oftentimes our actions, our attitudes, and our character are not that far from the very people who don't know Jesus in their life. And that is what worries me more than anything about the church because if you go into Revelation and you read the warning letters in Revelation chapter two and chapter three, there are some key things that we have to begin to focus on. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna dig into what we see here today and we're gonna talk about qualities that build a peaceful Christian community. So listen to what he says, starting in verse eight again. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. So here's what we say when we talked about this. Here's number one, how do I have a quality or what are the qualities that build a peaceful Christian community? Number one is this, that I live harmoniously with other believers harmoniously, what we just talked about. In reality, your text may say something like this, to be of one mind or to be like-minded, harmoniously. We're working together in unity to communicate the truth of the gospel. We are like-minded in what we are supposed to do and how we are to do it. We should have the same basic aim of loving God and loving other people, loving God and serving God and loving other people and serving other people. So when we get into this, we, we, we live right now in an isolated world, right? And it's been stressed over and over and over again. Isolation is huge. But the reality is that life was not meant to be lived in isolation. Like anybody ever watched Alone? Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? right? Alone is like freaky. Like they take these people, they drop them off in these islands by themselves and they got to survive like off Vancouver Island, up there north of Washington State, Vancouver, British Columbia area, and, and they're, they're, they're put alone and they have to survive. And basically it is whoever lasts the longest wins. But they're facing attacks from the enemies, like these bears and wolves and different things like that. They're trying to find the food and the nutrition. They're trying to live life all by themselves. 
And what's crazy is the more and more you watch this show alone, the more you realize, man, isolation is not meant for an individual. You are not meant to live isolated from community and isolated from other people. So we live harmoniously with that. But listen, here's what it means to live harmoniously. When he talks about this, if I live in harmony with one another, here's what he says, be sympathetic. Now, I don't know how you grew up, but sympathy is not a high characteristic that I'm good at, right? (laughs) Right, like I'm just, I just gotta be honest. Like when somebody's like, man, you need to be more sympathetic. I'm like, you mean I gotta be a wuss? (laughs) And they're like, but listen, here's one of those things. We can look at that and say, well, that's just not a characteristic I want. What does the Bible say? Brian, you gotta have more sympathy, Put yourself in another person's shoes. Begin to align yourself with the struggles and the difficulties they are going with day in and day out. Keep in mind, this is the relationship between brothers within the church, within people who are are believers, that I am sympathetic to what is going on in their life. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So he lays this out. If I want to live in harmony, then I have to be more sympathetic especially to those within the body of Christ. Now, one of the things we have to begin to understand is this. I believe wholeheartedly that one of the things that is going on within our culture is the lack of an emotional maturity and we have a mental breakdown within society. And please hear me out when I say this. The church is almost equal with it, it seems like because we've allowed certain things to rise up within our lives instead of living a harmonious life with the Lord first, that we've allowed things to rise up in our lives and speak into our lives and our hearts that have led us into emotional and mental panic. And what Paul says here is huge because Paul's gonna begin, or I mean, sorry, what Peter says here is huge because what Peter's gonna get to here in just a second is here's the relationship with the body of believers and here's how you need to respond to those who are gonna persecute you because persecution will happen. It's going to come. And so when I live harmoniously, I am sympathetic towards what a person is facing. Number two, he unpacks, he says to love as brothers, Right, it's, it's the whole idea, and I'm not gonna throw this, not, it, this, this is literally a brotherly love, right? It's not agape, it's, in other words, it's not an unconditional, but, but when, it, when God says to love God and love people, I am to love God unconditionally and I'm to love others unconditionally, but the word here, please, is not, it's not agape love, it's, it's a brotherly love, but it's the idea of living in understanding of the person, entering into their experiences to share their joy or to carry their sorrow, to help them through the difficulties and the pains and the burdens that they so often face. He's literally laying this out. So he says, be sympathetic, love as brothers, and then here's another one, and this is one that oftentimes I would say, I, I, I don't test high in mercy, and sometimes I don't test high in compassion, right? But he says what? Be compassionate. Man, how, how do I be compassionate with another brother or sister within the body of Christ? Like, right? Like, showing loving consideration for people who are in need, need of encouragement, need of a blessing. It's a feeling of concern for others expressed in action. 
Like compassion can come out many ways, right? It can come out by meeting a need physically. It can come out by meeting a need emotionally. In other words, you say, hey man, you're doing a great job. Don't get beat up by those who are telling you you're doing bad. Don't worry about those things. Feeling compassion is a way that I begin to help live in harmony with other people. When, when, when the loss of a loved one comes into the life of somebody, right? What do they need more than anything? Compassion. Sympathy, care, concern, right? These are qualities that build peaceful Christian community. Now, if you've been around our church for any time, you know that I grew up in a church that was highly conflicted, right? Like I I jokingly say this, but it's 100% truth. We used to run out of RAs, Royal Ambassadors, for those of you who grew up in the SBC church for years, Royal Ambassadors, GAs, Girls in Action, things like that held on Wednesday night. We would run out of RAs on Wednesday night up to the business meeting because we knew there was going to be a fight on multiple occasions. Is that what should happen in the body of Christ? No. And so what we have to begin to understand here is this, that there are ways in our lives that we allow Satan to grab or grasp a foothold. And oftentimes it's this, I don't need to be compassionate to that person because they did this to me. I don't need to show sympathy because they said something bad about me. They were disrespectful, they were rude, they were unkind, they were arrogant, they didn't listen, they didn't work with me. They, look. You hear what ends up happening? It becomes a selfishness focus. And please hear me out when I say this. A church that has inward conflict will not and cannot move forward until the relationships within the church are healthy. That's biblically, literally what he's laying out here. In a biblical sense, the Lord will take his hand off. So listen to what he says. He says, be compassionate. And then here's the last thing, remain humble. I, as a believer, have to remain humble. In other words, I'm conscious of my own position. I am dependent on God, able to think more highly of others than myself. Nobody nobody can go around and go, well, I'm the most humble person I know. Well, then you're not humble, right? But humility is something that has to be expressed in my life towards other people. So when I serve, when I listen to them, when they say something, I begin to say, I gotta put myself in their shoes, I have to listen to the perspective that they're saying, like how I treat them and how I talk to them and what I say has to play into how I am going to respond to them. So I am humbly gonna put myself in their shoes. Matter of fact, I I will say this, and it's not the easiest thing to do, especially somebody who likes to, to, I'll battle. Like, I'm, I'm good with rolling, if you know what I'm talking about. Like, if we got some conflict, I'm good at, like, I'll run to you head on. That's my wife. (laughs) right? Like, I don't avoid conflict. But that's usually because there's not a humble spirit. A humility begins to say, okay, I can take ownership on my part. Like, I've had people accuse me, you did this, and blah, 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 and I've had to learn to say, I'm sorry. Obviously, I have done something that offended you, and I have to apologize. So please, when I say this, hear this out. When he talks about living harmoniously with others, that means that I put a humble spirit into action. 
and that I'm sympathetic and compassionate with a person because I don't know what's going on in their life right then and there. But I respond harmoniously so that I can begin to move forward, so that we can begin to move forward. Romans chapter 12, verse three. I wanna read that to you real quick. I've got a couple of verses we're gonna cover, but Romans 12, verse three says this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So humility is this idea that I don't think higher of myself, but rather I look at another person as better. I serve them in a greater way. And please hear me out when I say this. If conflict rises up and I act or respond with a humble attitude, you can begin to squash a lot of conflict and a lot of problem. But humility is huge. And then listen to what he says in verse nine. And this is, again, keep in mind with brothers. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with what? Blessing. Because, you, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So here's number two. What is the quality or characteristic I wanna have? Number one, we wanna live harmoniously with other believers. Number two, I wanna be a person of blessing. In other words, I wanna be a person that when somebody insults me or somebody pays evil toward me, even within the body of Christ, what's it say I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to be a person of blessing. Like when somebody makes a negative comment, throw back a positive one in you. You know what, you're the biggest jerk in the world. Yeah, well, you're the best person at... You wanna know how quick somebody will shut up? <laughs> like if I, if I made a negative comment to my wife and she came back with a blessing, it'd be like, oh man, I'm a jerk. I mean, I was already a jerk anyways because I made a negative comment, right? But it's just gonna heap, it's gonna heap it upon me that when somebody I make a negative comment to blesses me, right, that it's a whole nother ball game. I, I'll, I'll use it this way. Like if I'm driving down the road, dude cuts me off and I'm like, what the heck, bro? And they wave at me, it's like, oh, okay, I see, I got you, right? Thanks, man, he was apologetic, Right? But the dude cuts me off and I honk and he flips me off. What happens with me? Whoa! Right, <laughs> okay, right? When I'm in the wrong and I admit I'm wrong and I pour it out as a blessing upon somebody else, right? right? If somebody responds with evil or with anger and I pour a blessing upon them, it completely changes the attitude from that person. Huge. Huge difference. So I want to be a blessing. And when I talk about being a person of blessing, it literally is saying, do not repay evil with evil. When we repay evil with evil, we stoop to the level that Satan wants us to be at anyways. And that is the biggest problem right there. Because when we stoop to the level of evil for evil, what we've done is we've kicked the door open. Remember last week, we were talking about building a firm foundation, making your marriage a fortress, men, and you wanna be a fortress where all four walls are built and strong to withstand the attacks of the enemy. When we do this, when we give Satan a foothold, what we've done in the church, we've kicked down some walls, the fortress that God wants us to be strong and supportive as a church, we've kicked down the walls and we've said, Satan, come on in and have your way. And trust me, he's already at work. He's gonna stand against the work of the church every day and all day. 
I said this not too long ago, and I will stand by this to the day I die, that when you begin to try and take back enemy territory, if you think the enemy ain't gonna fight, you have another, another thing coming. When you begin to try and make decisions and changes in your life because you know that it's not of God, but it's of Satan, and you begin to make those changes, Satan's gonna come at you twice as hard. When you try and put your marriage as a priority in that relationship, your wife, and you're building her up, and you're starting to develop and grow, and you're growing together, and you're praying together, if you don't think Satan's gonna come at you, you got another thing coming. So I wanna be a person of blessing. And listen to what he says as he unpacks this. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. When I'm a person of blessing, I put myself in a place of blessing. When I am a person of blessing those around me, I put myself in a place where the Lord can bless me, where I can inherit a blessing from him. And it may be the fact that he brings the blessing from that relationship that he brings a unity to what's just happened. And, and so there's that. And then listen to what he says. Whoever would love his life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Verse 11, he must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Listen, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to the prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Keep in mind, this is talking to the brothers within the dispersed church at this point in time. And if we go back to that, men, if you remember last week, we said, so that nothing would hinder your prayers, verse seven. And then he comes back and he says, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Whose ears are he attentive to? Or I mean, sorry, whose prayers is he attentive to? Well, James says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And how I treat others within the body of Christ is the righteousness that God is talking about here. That I live my life seeking the betterment of another person, looking for humility in my life, learning to be sympathetic and compassionate and understanding so that we can live harmoniously amongst what we are going through. Why? Because the lies of the Lord are upon the righteous. See, these qualities that we just talked about here show a high commitment to the stability and well-being of the Christian community. A stable, healthy church will be built upon these relational attributes that we just saw, these qualities, these characteristics, humility, compassion, sympathy, not repaying evil for evil, but blessings upon those who do those things. These are the qualities and characteristics we have to have within the body of Christ. And here's what he says now in verse 13. Because what we talk about there was the relationship within the body of believers. And now verse 13, it's gonna be the relationship with those who aren't in a relationship with Jesus Christ, who aren't a part of the church. I said this not too long ago. I've said it multiple times over the COVID situation, but please hear me out when I say this. Persecution will come. We don't know when. And I'm not one to be quick to say, well, that's persecution. We have certain rights and freedoms that are protected right now by our constitution that I believe at any point in time will begin to erode. They're already beginning to erode, will become, will probably come under attack. And let's just be honest right now. I don't care where you're at with your government situation. We've got an attack going on in the constitution of the United States, period. 
And if we don't take a stand for the Constitution, which are the laws that we're submissive to, right? Remember what we talked about? I submit to the Lord, and then we're submissive to the laws by which our country is governed. These are the laws we're submissive to. Anybody who begins to violate or to want to change those laws, then we stand against in a loving way, but in a way that's going to communicate the truth of the gospel, okay? But persecution will at some point arise, and when it does, here's how we are supposed to respond or how our attitude towards those who are outside the body of Christ is how we're supposed to respond. So follow along in verse 13 with me. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. This kind of takes us back to this, you know, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in in the book of Daniel, where they're basically told you're going to do this, and if you don't, then you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. And they said, our God will protect us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship anybody other than God. And it's playing out here in the same way. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for what is right, you are what? Blessed. If I suffer for what is right, I am blessed. And then listen to what he says. Do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened. Over the last year, and I would say over the last 30 years, In the American church, we have become afraid of the very things that we shouldn't be afraid of. We should have no fear. Matter of fact, as we go through scripture, the Bible is very clear that there is no fear. We should have no fear because we rely upon the authority and the wisdom and the power of the God who loved us by sending his son, who died on the cross, who squashes the foolishness of the world through the wisdom of God, which is Jesus resurrected, that we should not be afraid of what we face. Like, I can't express that enough. COVID, there should be no fear over COVID. I'm sorry. The fact that you're on the deathbed with cancer or COVID, there should be no what? Fear. Why? Because my life is wrapped up in who Christ is and what Christ did for me. And if I am in Christ and I have a relationship with him, I am built upon and I understand and I put my faith and trust in the promise that if God said, I promised I loved you to the point that I will never forget you, I will never forsake you, that he will take me where I'm supposed to be regardless of what happens. It doesn't mean it's easy when we walk through those things, but it does mean that I don't have to walk through with fear that I turn over my worries and my anxieties and my fears and I give them to the Lord. So as I walk through this, listen to me, our attitude towards persecution should be this, do not be afraid. Isaiah chapter eight, verse 12. I wanna read this just so you can hear just a little bit, but he's quoting this. And a matter of fact, I think it's something that we should listen to, especially with our social media and the lack of accuracy with our media, period. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread. Why do we allow what the world says? Why do we allow what media says? Why do we allow what people post on social media? Why do we allow what people think or say about us to fear, to add fear into our life? And here's what I'll begin to say with that. When we fear, God's not on the throne of your heart. When you are afraid 
and you allow fear to control your life, then what you're saying is that your faith is not built upon God. It's built upon what everybody else thinks or what another person says or how they respond to you. Can I say this just a little bit? We need a lot more thick-skinned Christians. You know what I mean? We've got to get a little bit thicker skin. And quit worrying about what other people say about you and go, man, you know what? I'm following Jesus no matter what. So when the persecution comes, I don't have to be afraid. And listen to what he says. He says, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, right? So I set him apart. I am clarifying that Jesus is completely set apart, that he is the one through which my attitudes and actions come. He is the one that I am to speak peace and pursue it. He is the one who's going to build me up. The right response to undeserved suffering leads to a blessing. And listen, Satan and the adversary through physical suffering, through material hardship, through mental and emotional anguish will continue to work over time to try and create fear. But what I have to do is set apart Christ as Lord. And Lord is the idea of master. And when I set Christ apart as Lord, I have nothing to fear. Why? Because the life that everybody else can take cannot be taken from me eternally. Jesus is the only one who holds the keys to death and Hades. And he said, I will never die that I would be with him if I'm absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's the promise, there's the trust, and there's the hope. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always, and here's the thing when persecution comes, always be prepared to give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you where you got your hope from. Over the last year and a half, as we've dealt with the COVID issue, as people have walked through fear, I've had people go, why are you so positive? Why are you got so much hope? What's going on? Why? Why? Because you can't control what's going on out there. I can't control the actions of you in here. The only person I can control is who? Myself. Listen, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to walk through the world afraid. I don't have to walk through the troubles and the trials and the struggles and the difficulties by being afraid. I don't have to deal with any of those things. I can walk in the confidence That Jesus who died on the cross for my sins, that same Jesus who died on the cross and rose again said that I came to give you life and life more abundantly. So don't be afraid. My attitude towards persecution is not to be afraid of what goes on. He says to set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then he says this, but do it with gentleness and respect. Holy cow. Let's talk about respect just a second. Like I have seen people's lashing outs, Christians, at others, whether it's in words in person or words on social media to try and defend Jesus. And they're not gentle and they're not respectful. Remember that old school adage when you were growing up? You don't have nothing nice to say, don't what? (laughs) That's not in the Bible, but it's a good reaction. It's a good response, right? Everything that I do should be built upon that, that my response should always be, if I don't have nothing nice to say, I don't say anything at all. But listen, 
if I set apart Christ as Lord and I use the words that he gave to give people a reason or an answer for the reason I have hope and I do it with gentleness and respect, there's an openness that people begin to say, oh, wait, wait a second. You know how many people I disagree with politically or even morally that I can have good conversations with, maintain a friendship with, still have an influence with? Lots of people. Some of you are probably here in the church, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, it's just the way it is. But it's called gentleness and respect, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Oh, wait, uh, gentleness and self-control. That kind of follows up with gentleness and respect. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That when the Spirit lives in me, this is what I act like, and this is how I can go. So I say, do not be afraid. So our attitude toward persecution, I should not be afraid. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to be ashamed of what those who speak against me are going to speak against me. And then I want to jump into verse 18. Matter of fact, verse 17 and, and following, he says, it's better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, verse 18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus, who has gone into heaven, is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Here's the last thing I want to say when we talk about this idea of our attitude towards persecution. We said, number one, was not to, to be afraid in our attitude toward persecution. Number two, I have to understand this. I have to preach the gospel to myself daily. See, a lot of believers get in this response that, well, I already know the gospel, Brian. Well, great, but preach the gospel to yourself daily. Every time I interact with scripture, it should be a reminder of my brokenness, my need for Jesus on a daily basis, my need for the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And while I am yet a sinner, Christ died for me, that I don't walk into sin openly. I don't walk into the sinful nature that is so easy, but I walk away from it and I begin to turn my back towards that and I follow Jesus. I have to preach the God, the gospel of Jesus Christ to myself daily. Why? Because it's the gospel that is good news. This is the gospel for which Jesus died. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he paid the price that you and I couldn't pay. I've had people go, well, the Jews did it. Really? Yes, they did it at that point in time. But what does Romans say? That all of us played a part in sending Jesus to the cross. And please hear me out. If Jesus did not go to the cross, then you and I, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, are still stuck in our sin. And if we're still stuck in our sin, then what we're doing here on Sunday morning doesn't matter. And how I respond doesn't matter. And how I act morally doesn't matter. And how I treat another brother or sister within the body of Christ doesn't matter. If Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross, if Jesus Christ didn't rise again, then none of it matters. So let's just all go out and do whatever the heck we want to do. No. I preach the gospel to myself daily, 
reminding me of the grace and mercy and love that Jesus gave in every circumstance and situation so that, listen what he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you and me to God. So when I talk about this idea of persecution and how I respond to those, he literally is saying, if you preach the gospel to yourself daily, you will always keep the gospel foremost. Now, I wanna answer just a couple quick questions. Number one, it says baptism. And a lot of people go, baptism? It just talked about baptism saving you. I want you to understand what this is talking about. Number one, or as we jump into that, it represents a complete break from one's past life. Look at what it says as we follow. It says in verse 20, who displayed long, or sorry, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So Noah's building the ark. He's, Noah's out there telling the people why he's building the ark and the people don't what? They don't listen. And as a result, only eight were saved. Now, in the Old Testament, there are a couple pictures of baptism that oftentimes we don't think of or see. Number one, there's the baptism at the Red Sea, that God's people walk across on dry land, right? And the water signifies that they've left the old life and they're walking into the new promised land. Same with Noah in Genesis chapter eight, that in Noah's aspect, what we're doing is baptism, this idea of water, is that the old is gone and the new has come. The past life is gone and the sinful life is gone and there's this new creation. There's this new world. And so he's unpacking, he lays this out, that baptism symbolizes that. And it says the water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. That's not the reality of what we're trying to communicate. Peter is not saying that baptism saves you. Peter's saying that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what saves you, but that baptism is a symbol of that change that took place inside where you're leaving the past and you're walking into the new life that he's called you. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. Baptism signifies or symbolizes the change of what has taken place in your life. And so I preach the gospel to myself daily. Why? Because I need to be reminded of my brokenness and my sin nature. And I need to be reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ because the good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus offers you life and life more abundantly. And when he offers you that life, baptism literally is this. It's a public stand for Christ. It is a symbolic nature. It is a symbolic picture of my old life being buried with Jesus in his death and raised to walk in a new life. Just as we see with Noah and the ark, just as we see at the Red Sea with the baptism that takes place there, these are the nature, this is the nature of what God does in the life of a believer. And so if you're a believer and you've never been baptized, what you begin to ask is, why have I not? If I understand the good news of the gospel, then the good news of the gospel is good enough for me to get into heaven then I obey what God has called me to do by following in believer's baptism. Baptism always follows conversion. Baptism always follows the point where we say, that was my old life. This is the new life I'm pursuing because God has called me to it. Now, baptism is that symbolic reference where I say I wanna be baptized. I wanna represent, I'm making a public profession, letting everybody know that my old life is gone and I'm gonna pursue Jesus from here on out. How do I withstand the persecution that's gonna come? 
I withstand it by preaching the gospel to me daily. And here's what's crazy about it. When I preach the gospel, if Jesus suffered and died, guess what the promise is for you? Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just gonna wrap up with this. I don't know that we realize how blessed we are here in the United States. Right? Like, like what I just talked about where we could begin to stand up against a, a government that is breaking our own laws, which we have every right to do. But I want you to think about where it would be illegal to meet on a Sunday morning like this. And when I talk about illegal, I mean like armed guards showing up, maybe gonna kill you. This happens all over the world. We saw it happening in Afghanistan. It happens in China. Myanmar's bad. Burma's terrible. Matter of fact, there's a new video out I was just watching about called the Free Burma Rangers about a missionary who's lived over there for 20 years. You know what he does? I mean, he's like a special ops dude who's going in and rescuing these people from the persecution that's rising amongst the, the Burmese army. Iran, Iraq, I mean, we can go around the world. And it's just, I mean, it's happening in Canada for those of you who don't realize it. They are cracking down hardcore on churches. They have lost their ever-loving mind and they're taking away the rights and freedoms of their own countrymen because of COVID. It's only a matter of time. And it will be, the, the statement will be, please hear me out when I say this, the statement from our government and other people would be, don't you wanna do what's best for everybody? Don't you wanna... You people who aren't willing to listen to rational thought or science. <laughs> Sorry, I think it's funny. Science is only good as long as it doesn't prove my point or uh, stands against my point. If it stands against my point, it's no longer good. That's why we have a, a cultural identity problem with gender and things like that. So I'll leave that there. Um, but listen to what he says in verse 22, 20, 21 and 22. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven, is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. All authority and all power in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ through the Father, and he is the one who will protect us and guard us and guide us even in the midst of persecution. So do not be afraid. Do not fear. But I also wanna say this. In order to get through the persecution, we have to be strong as a body. The body of believers has to be strong together, living harmoniously, being sympathetic, having compassion, having a humble spirit, beginning to walk with and through the forgiveness aspect and learning to build each other up and encourage each other. We have to work together before we can ever stand apart because persecution will happen. Yes, it's gonna be standing apart for some. Because some are going to say, according to scripture, I'm done, I'm out, see you later. And they're going to turn you over. A supposed brother will turn you over to law. So please hear me out when I talk about this. This living hope that we have in Christ, this idea of what Peter's trying to get across is that we can have hope regardless of what others do to us because we can rest on the firm foundation of Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And so here's what I wanted to do. We had talked about doing the Lord's Supper. And honestly, I think this is one of the best times to do it.
because we just talked about what it means to live in a harmonious relationship with other believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says this, that you examine yourself before you take the Lord's Supper. Number one, examination should be this, that it, do I have faith and trust in Jesus? Have, you, have I made it a public statement? Do I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross? Do I believe he rose again? If you do, in the examination part, then we encourage you to take part in the Lord's Supper, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is this, do I have any unrepentant conflict with another believer within the body of Christ that I need to go and confess, that I need to talk with them? about, then I need to ask them their forgiveness. The Bible's very clear. Before you take the Lord's Supper, please hear me out when I say this. This is of utmost importance. Yes, it is symbolic, but to drink or eat of it unworthily, it says, is to reap coals upon your head. It's to reap the burden of Christ upon it when you're not doing it in a worthy manner. And so we're going to sing this song. And as we sing this song, we're just going to go into a time of prayer. And then as we start to sing this song, as you feel led to come get the Lord's Supper, grab a cracker, grab the cup, head back to your, to your uh, chair, back to your pew, and we're going to do it together. But I want us to do this in a very respectful manner, in a way that is worthy that God called us to. And so please, 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 if there are issues amongst the body, then you need to grab somebody and pray with them. You need to get with them and confess. Because otherwise, this is just a symbolic act that is of no value. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for the fact that the gospel is good news to those of us who have put our faith and trust in him. And God, it's still good news for those who don't or who haven't. But Lord, we know that in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the persecution, that we can stand assured, that we don't have to walk in fear, that we can rest assured in the promises that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will build us up. You will uphold us with your righteous right hand, that you sit at the right hand of the Father and that you will give us all the strength because all authority and all power is in you. And so we thank you for the fact that your son Jesus died on the cross and rose again. God, may we not take this lightly, May we take it in a very understanding manner that we wanna be worthy of what we are acknowledging here, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, if we have any unrepentant sins, that we confess that to you because you are faithful and just to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.